Okay, good. So we're continuing with Shanti Deva, and after uh, many weeks of um, an anatomy course, yeah, and really thinking about that, uh, when we did this several years ago, uh, studying the, we were doing it in the context of establishing mindfulness on the body. Then uh, Venerable Jigme kindly pulled out some of her books, and uh, we had a good glimpse of them. Yeah, some of your anatomy. Oh, it was Venerable Tarpa. Okay. So I think they should still be in the library. Okay. Good. So uh, then in the last um, class, he was going more towards uh, just attachment in general. Yeah. And what are the results of following attachment? So we'll take up from there. And then uh, Shanti Deva transitions from there into uh, equalizing self and others. But we will, uh, yeah. And but we'll first do equanimity. Okay. So let's visualize the Merrifield. and ourselves surrounded by all the sentient beings in human form. Somebody asked why we uh, visualize them in a human form, uh, even though they aren't right now. And that's because in human form, people can understand and practice the teachings. You know, if we visualized uh, them in all their present forms, um, you know, they, they couldn't understand or be at all interested in the teachings. So both the holy beings uh, extend infinitely in space, and so do the sentient beings. We can't see the limit of either of them. So chances are we don't remember uh, who we were in our previous life or the lives before that. But definitely before this lifetime, the previous continuum of this mind stream was in a samsaric body and so was the previous continuum of that mind stream in a samsaric body, going back and back infinitely or beginninglessly, always under the influence of ignorance. 
afflictions and karma. When you think of this lifetime and how we are conditioned by the ignorance and afflictions that arise right now, forcing us to create more polluted karma, and how we're also influenced by previous polluted karma, which is ripening day by day, when we really contemplate that deeply and get a sense of it, then we understand what the Buddha meant when he described samsara as a prison where we lack freedom. where we're under the control of others, here being ignorance, the afflictions, and polluted karma. So when we look at things that we want to happen in this life that don't happen when we can't get what we want or accomplish what we want to. Yeah, one of the principal causes of that is the ignorance, afflictions, and karma. It's not other people. other people, social conditions, and so forth. Those are cooperative conditions. The principal cause is our own karma, why we face the circumstances we face. So if we want to be free of frustration, if we want to be free of confinement and limitation, then we have to eliminate the actual causes of our imprisonment. And it's for that reason that we're listening to the Dharma today. But it's also not just our own liberation, but to see that everybody else is in the exact same situation as us. And since we and others are the same in that regard. To put our effort into overcoming 
the obscurations of all sentient beings, not just our own, and bringing about the good qualities of all sentient beings, not just our own. And thus we set our aim on full Buddhahood, no matter how long that takes. But we're not going to abandon that aim, that purpose. So when we usually think of ourselves, we don't think of a sentient being stuck in samsara since beginning this time under the influence of afflictions, ignorance, and karma. You know, we don't wake up in the morning and say, oh, this is my situation. We wake up in the morning and say, I want this, I want that. I don't want this, and I don't want that. And then we just continue creating more and more causes to be reborn in samsara. Yeah. So it's amazing even how we hear the teachings, yeah, about the defects of cyclic existence and they seem quite reasonable and occasionally, yeah, we'll meditate on them when we get around to it. Uh, because meditating on the disadvantages of samsara is not our favorite meditation. Yeah. We much prefer visualizing ourselves as Manjushri or Tara or somebody radiating light. Yeah. Not as coming to grips with what our real situation is. So, um, yeah, so even though we may intellectually know the teachings and recall them sometimes, uh, by and large, you know, they, that view of our life and who we are, um, we don't hold it very much. Yeah. Instead, we hold the view of, you know, this is an inherently existent person. And I'm entitled to what, to get what I want. And if I don't, it's uh, somebody else's fault. Right? So I have a right to complain. Yeah, that's what free speech is. My right to complain. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it, what... How are people using free speech nowadays? It's to, it's to criticize other people and to lie about other people, make up false stories and lie, make money off the fa- false stories you tell. And, yeah, and that's called free speech. Yeah, my First Amendment. Yeah. And if you want to 
curtail that, then I invoke my Second Amendment. So be careful then. Okay, so this is why Shanti Deva is trying to give us a different version of who we are and what our society uh, is and could potentially look like. Yeah. I mean, imagine what it would be if everybody took the first precept to not kill for one day. Yeah. I mean, what would happen in Ukraine? What would happen in all the other countries where there's war? What would happen in Russia if they didn't happen, have to uh, conscript all these people to send them to a war they started? Yeah, if nobody was killing. I mean, the whole world, our whole economy would change if there were no killing. I mean, the whole military industrial thing, which gets a little, I mean, is, you know, a huge part of our economy. All that money could suddenly be used to preserve life and and so on, you know. It would just be astounding. And that's just one precept. Okay, so we see the force of you know, the force of what ignorance does and the force of what even our, you know, small efforts at keeping ethical conduct are. Okay, so let's uh, continue from where we left off last week. Okay, so uh, I'll I'll back up a couple of verses because... uh, you know, here he is, uh, Shantideva is uh, going into what some people do out of attachment um, and primarily attachment to sexual relationships, to family, and also to wealth and social status and everything else. So he hits it. He goes straight in there. Some lustful people even cut their bodies. Others impale themselves on the points of sticks. Some stab themselves with daggers, and others burn themselves. Such things as these are quite apparent. So that's what people do to get what they want. Okay. You know, when it it, it said... I mean, I don't. I think impaling yourself on the point, on the points of of sticks, you know that I don't think many people do that nowadays. That was uh, something in ancient India that you could do to prove that you had attained liberation. You jump on a trident, and if the center thing came up, the crown of your head, you were liberated. I think people don't do that nowadays. Um, also, you know, if people were impaling themselves in the point of, uh, point of sticks to kill themselves, nowadays we have much easier, quicker ways to kill yourself. Okay, so you don't need to jump on sticks or stab themselves with daggers out of, you know, frustration or to prove a point or to be vindictive, Yeah. 
um, you know, or cut your body. And people do that now out of all sorts of uh, psychological trauma. Probably did that in ancient society too. But what he's saying is all these kinds of behaviors stem from attachment to something. Yeah, what's accept, uh, what's expected of us in society, or frustration not getting what we want, or who knows what, to prove how superior we are. Then seventy nine, due to the torment involved in collecting it, protecting it, and finally losing it, I should realize wealth to be fraught with infinite problems. So last time we talked about, you know, whatever we possess, we also have the hell realm that goes with it. So now we are also going through water system hell. Yeah? So some of us are on the fringe of that. We aren't suffering too much. But a few of you are deeply involved. You're even in the trenches of water system hell. Okay? Whatever we have, there's a hell realm associated with it. Okay, so the torment in collecting it, in gathering the wealth that we want, either the possessions or the money or, you know, the status, whatever. So you have to get it first. Then once you have it, you have to protect it because other people also want it. And they're going to, you know... I mean, well, I'll give that example in a minute. Okay, and then finally losing it. Okay. So you take any of the big name uh, dictators or politicians, you know, what they have to do to get in power. Yeah. Think about that. We don't often hear about that, but they spend years cuddling up to certain people, planning things, making their name famous, making sure that they say the thing that other people who can help them want them to say. Okay. Then once they get the power, then they have to protect it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you look at either Donnie or Putin right now, or, you know, you can think of Mao or Hitler or Stalin. I mean, what they did to get the amazing power that they had. Yeah. You know, what, what, what they did to their mind, what they did to the people they were close to, uh, you know, just amazing. And then once they got the power, there was the fear of losing it. Okay. And the torment Donnie went through when he lost the election. Yeah. And he's not letting up on that torment. He wants the 2020 election reversed <laughs> so that tomorrow he can be president again. Really. He doesn't want to, why wait for the next election? He should be, uh, you know, 
you're made president immediately when they find out the truth. So what he has to go through protecting it. And in the end, what happens? Yeah, you finally lose your power. You know, Stalin died, Mao died, Hitler killed himself, Putin is shaking in his boots. Yeah, because there's a lot of unrest at home, and people do not like unsuccessful wars where their sons and brothers and fathers are killed for no purpose. You know, some of them are saying, well, in World War II, we were fighting for the existence of our country. We don't mind that. But this war, why are we fighting in Ukraine? This is Putin's war, it's not our war. We don't want this. Okay, but Putin's right smack in the middle of it. And he can't say, oops, I made a mistake. Yeah, when you have to protect your power, you don't say, oops. Yeah, you justify it. You up the ante. You become more belligerent. But eventually you lose that power uh, if for no other reason than you die. But, you know, other, the people you're competing with can usurp your, your power and there you are, you are exiled. You know, people keep saying, you know, that we can't uh, have charges against the president, the president because that would make... America like a banana republic, you know, where they're always uh, trying the presidents and leaders and throwing them in prison afterwards. But when those countries do that, you know, okay, it's not good if you're doing it just because somebody's a political enemy. But if somebody created crimes, they should be tried. Okay. But here, it's like people don't want to admit that that our presidents don't follow the Constitution <laughs> and don't follow the law because that would not look good for American exceptionalism. Yeah. So we, we have the whole thing that's going on now. But eventually, yeah, when you think about this universe, and this is a really good remedy when you have problems, when you're um, facing not getting what you want or your status, your reputation is at stake or you're not getting it, you're getting too much blame and not enough praise, which means you get one bit of blame, but 10 million bits of praise, that's still not how it should be, you know? Um, that, you know, if we think of ever, of samsara, you know, and America is one t tiny part of this whole planet, and this planet is one tiny part of the solar system, which is one tiny part, you know, of this whole universe, and there's countless sentient beings out there, and they aren't worrying about what we're worrying about. Yeah, 
And so when you, you think of people desperate to cling on to their status or to not be criticized, you know, and then you compare that to what's going on in the entire universe, then our problems seem really rather insignificant, don't they? Yeah. So I, I think I, for the benefit of people who haven't heard these stories, yeah. So once upon a time, some years ago, um, yeah, it was actually in the mid, mid-90s, I was uh, working on a book, and that was uh, going to be a synopsis of a conference, a Buddhist conference. And I wrote it all up. I really liked the way I did it. There were people who presented it, and then there was the expert who responded. And I abbreviated the presentation of the, of the presenters and gave most of the voice to the person who responded because that's what we wanted to hear. Okay, so the manuscript's done. So then some of the presenters, they go directly to the publisher. They don't talk to me. And they um, they uh, ask to see the manuscript. And they are incensed that their presentations were abbreviated. They were incensed. And then they started making you know, saying we shouldn't publish the book as it is. Yeah. So then they talked to the publisher, again, you know, again. And and here was this whole manuscript I had worked on that I thought was great. And they were didn't want it published. Yeah. And so I was mad. <laughs> yeah. I was really mad, um, especially because these presenters were people with big names, and I thought that they should be better than that. So, I, yeah, so then there was all this drama and blah, 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 ho, 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 I won't tell you all that. Anyway, I wound up, uh, I, uh, it was springtime, and, and in those days I, I used to go to Dharamsala for his holiness's spring teachings. So one day, so I love being there, you know, just with the whole group of everybody and and listening to his holiness. But one day after the teachings, I was walking back to my room. And, you know, again, this thing of way back in America, this whole controversy about the manuscript. It was running through my mind. I just heard this beautiful Dharma teaching, you know. But my mind was completely fixated on my samsaric problem and what these people did to me and how unfair it was and how unappreciative they were. And and then the thought, dawned on me that of this enormous universe with countless sentient beings, I am the only one upset about what happened to this manuscript. Only me. Yeah. The people who didn't want it published were more numerous because they were all the presenters. It was only me. 
And then I thought, wow, I am wasting my time being mad about this. You know, when there's countless Indian beings experiencing so many other things. And even on this earth of seven billion human beings, I'm the only one focused on this. Nobody else even cares. So if nobody else cares, why should I put my energy into that and care? Really, let it go. So, it, it, you know, it was really very helpful. So I find that thing of, you know, looking out at the stars in the evening and not just seeing stars, but seeing whole universes full of sentient beings, everybody having their own experience and completely absorbed in their own experience. Yeah, except for a few bodhisattvas and a few arhats, you know. But, you know, just when really thinking about that, then my problems are like, you know, they aren't even as big as this. They're like nothing. So it was very helpful. I stopped being angry, yeah, about that. And then years, a few years later, I was talking to the expert who, you know, and he, he looked at me and he said, oh, that, that whole thing uh, was politicized, wasn't it? I said, yes. So anyway, so, you know, that this is, I'm telling you this because I find it a very helpful way to deal with when my mind gets completely stuck in my problem and me not being treated fairly and da 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 you know so try it it helps okay okay so due to the torment involved in collecting it protecting it and finally losing it and by the way I have to admit, I thought that by being the editor of the book, my name might get known a little bit. Well, forget that. <laughs> okay. So due to the uh, torment involved in collecting it, protecting it, and finally losing it, I should realize wealth to be fraught with infinite problems. So the stock market now is like, you know, like this. All these people are so tense. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. My money's in the stock market. It went up. It went down. It went up. It went down. Should I sell? Should I save it? What should I do? Should I give it to a charity so I don't have to pay tax? I don't know what to do with it. Up, down, up, down. Their minds are so distressed right now. Okay? Those who are distracted by their attachment to it have no opportunity to gain freedom from the misery of continued conditioned existence. Okay? So when our mind is involved in worldly things and you know, 
the seeking the happiness of this life, yeah, we're closing the door to gaining freedom from samsara because we're not even interested in freedom in, of, from samsara at those times. We're more interested in, you know, my job and my love life and my financial situation and what other, other people think of me and do I have I saved enough money for my old age? And, you know, we're not even thinking of future lives, let alone liberation. We don't even care about them. So if we don't care about something, we're not going to create the cause. And so that's why it says, you know, that... um we don't have that there's no opportunity to gain freedom from the misery of conditioned existence because we don't want it like you know i mean can you imagine going to your parents and saying hi mom and dad do you know that you're in samsara and that it's really a dire situation yeah what are your parents going to say yeah are your parents going to say, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, I should really think about my future lives and my liberation. Yeah. How about your old friends? All, all the friends you were, the uh, pe- people you were friends with in grammar school and high school and college, you know, your work colleagues. Yeah, if you went back. Yeah, you go to the physics department and you say, Hey guys, did you know that in addition to quarks and all these things, there's also samsara? Yeah. And you're in the middle of it. What do you think about that? Yeah. They're going to go, is it a subatomic particle? If it is, then I'm very interested in samsara. But otherwise, uh, you know, it's out. Who cares? Yeah? Can, I mean, just think about it for a minute, just saying that to your parents or your colleagues and what kind of response you would get. Yeah. Oh, I see some skits coming. <laughs> yeah. We could do some really good skits about this. But, um, yeah. So, verse 80, in the same way as animals drawing carriages are only able to eat a few mouthfuls of grass, likewise, desirous people have many disadvantages such as these and little profit. Okay, so if you think, remember, we're talking ancient India, animals drawing carriages, or worse yet, you know, donkeys, uh, pulling or carrying the loads of other of human beings you know, especially like the the donkeys in Dharamsala my goodness they put so many uh, rocks and slate on the backs of these poor animals and then make them go uphill and beat them to go faster okay but at least the animal you know these animals can eat a little, a few mouthfuls of grass on the way. Yeah, their owners will let them eat a little bit or drink a little bit. Likewise, desirous people have many disadvantages. 
you know, maybe they don't get beaten and they aren't carrying stones and slate on their back, but, you know, they have all the other disadvantages that we were just talking about. But they don't even get, you know, they have little profit. So maybe they get, a, they get to have a good dinner once in a while. Yeah. Or they get to look at the newspaper and their stock went up. And they're so happy my stock went up. All they did was look at the ink on a sheet of paper. And they got so happy what that ink, the shape of that ink and what it was saying. It made them overjoyed. My stock just went up. Where's your stock? Show me your stock. Do they send out certificates when you buy stock? What do you have when you buy stock? You just... Yeah, you see how much I know. But, you know, I mean, maybe in your stock broker's account, there's some numbers. Yeah. So you have some pixels. Or if they print it out, you have some ink on paper. But where is your stock? Yeah, what, what is it, stock? Oh, well, I own part of a company. Yeah, so if you go to that company and you say, you know, I own one millionth of you. I want my one millionth. You know, what are they going to give you? It is so interesting when you really think about, you know, how society is structured and what actually makes people happy. Yeah, Like, for example, yeah, when we built this building, yeah, Chenrezig Hall. So there were always, you know, whenever you build a, a building, there's so much to go through. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And then, you know, you're always nervous when the, ins- well, the inspector comes, different inspectors come all through the building process. But at the end, there is the final ex- ex- uh, inspection. And this is the one that authorizes you to use the building. Before you get occupancy, you're not allowed to use the building to inhabit it. Okay. So right before our inspector, our county inspector comes, you know, we're all like, what's going to happen? Because, you know, he had seen something in our plans because downstairs, you know, in the foyer, when people first come in, you're supposed to have a water fountain. And we didn't know that. And he said, you have to have something in this room so that people can drink. It's required by the state. So we got a little table and we got a, uh, a, a, a ceramic um, container, yeah, this big, put it on the table, put some water in it, put some plastic cups next to it. And when he came in, he looked at it. And of course we offered him some water, but he, you know, he didn't take it. Okay. And 
When I saw that same container in the stack of things that you were going to give to the garage sale, I said, no way, because if the inspector comes in again, we're taking out that container and filling it with water, and we have the plastic cups in the kitchen and we're putting them down, because otherwise, you know, we'll get in trouble. So if, if you wondered why I went and, and took that <laughs> container away, <laughs> that's why. Okay. Then when, uh, you know, he came and he gave, you know, and he gave us occupancy. Yeah. And he signed the, you know, the piece of paper. Yeah. Then we went into Ananda and told everybody. And everybody was screaming and jumping for joy. And we got occupancy, yippee, ah, da, 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 da. And we got a whole piece of paper for it. Yeah. But the value of that piece of paper and how happy it made us. Yeah, and it's just a piece of paper. Uh-huh. Yes, it did when we got the, yeah. Oh, because getting the, the Buddha Hall, I mean, forget occupancy, just getting the building permit, what we had to go through, okay? So, so all of you who just have to do dishes now, rejoice. Because when the old fogies fall away, you're going to be building the buildings and you get to do all this. Yippee! It's going to be so exciting. Yeah. So rejoice at the time when all you have to do is shovel snow and wash dishes and things like that. Yeah. And have some compassion for the dinosaurs. Yeah. It's like, you know, we sometimes have a little bit of stress, don't we? Yeah, a little bit. What do you think? <laughs> okay. So that's verse 80. 81. And since even animals can obtain this little profit, the few mouthfuls of grass they get, those who are pained by their previous actions, human beings who don't feel good about their previous actions, Waste these leisures and endowments, their freedoms and fortunes, so difficult to find, for the sake of something trivial that is not so scarce. So people, you know, animals get this little bit of profit, the grass that they eat, and they get to lie down, you know, when, at nighttime. Okay. But human beings, yeah, we do all sorts of negativities, we're pained by our previous actions because we don't feel good about them. Yeah. And I'm sure as much as, you know, these prominent people I mentioned say, you know, I'm in power and this is, I'm working for the country and da, 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 da. I'm sure when they're alone by themselves, they don't feel good about themselves. And definitely at the time of death, when the visions 
coming from the negative karma that was previously created. When these visions start to happen, they're not having a happy death. Okay, but meanwhile, not caring even about their own death, yeah, what they're going to experience at death, let alone next life, let alone liberation, let alone full awakening. They waste the freedoms and fortunes so difficult to find. So the freedoms, the eight freedoms of having a precious human life, the ten fortunes of having it, yeah, they don't even know they have. Well, they don't have all 18 of them, yeah, because some of the you know, the fortunes have to do with meeting teachers, having faith in the Dharma when you hear it, yeah. having a community to practice, and being born in a time and place where the Buddhist teachings exist. So many people don't even have a, a precious human life, even though they have a human life. Okay. But whether you, you know, if you waste your time, these conditions, which are so difficult to find, yeah, when you really think about the causes of a precious human life and what we have done in a previous life, how hard we have worked to create the causes for our present opportunities. These people don't even realize that, and we didn't even realize that before we met the Dharma. And half the time after having realized the Dharma, we don't even think about having a precious human life. We're still fixated on, I want to cook a good meal so people like me when it's our, our day in the kitchen, you know? So um, waste the freedoms and fortunes so difficult to find for the sake of something trivial that is not so scarce, like money, like sexual partners, like fame, status, any of these things that we crave, are, you know, they are not so rare. Yeah, lots of people in the world have them. Yeah, when we're sitting there craving chocolate. Yeah, chocolate is plentiful. Yeah. But it, and so that makes it trivial. Okay, that's why he's calling it something trivial, because it's very prominent. All these things we crave, you know, they exist in samsara. They're not so scarce. But we're willing to, to completely waste um, our time this life. And it's as if throwing out the window all the effort we put in in previous lives. Yeah. It's like you're in a PhD program, yeah, and you've gone to grammar school. You've suffered through grammar school. And middle school, oh my goodness, middle school, junior high, what torture. High school, which was worse? Yeah, junior high or high, high school. Hmm? They're, they're confusing times. Then you get to college, you know. You get a little bit beat up in college. 
Because you were good in high school, but that's not such a big deal. Then you get to college and you're with other people who are good and you're like nobody. Then graduate school. So you get into graduate school, you work hard, you get into, then you get into a PhD program. You know, you got your master's, now you're in your PhD program. And you get, you do all this research for how many years your whole life is involved in your PhD program. And then right before you have to defend it, you drop out. People would say, what a waste. Yeah? Wouldn't people say, what a waste? Like right before you had to defend it. You were almost there. Yeah. So it's like you wasted all that previous education. Yeah. Or if you're a woman, you get your PhD and then you become a mother so you don't work. Then you wasted all that education. You know, it could have been for somebody who was going to work, and you just decided to have babies instead. And then people say, what a waste, what a waste. But meanwhile, we waste our precious human life. Nobody says, what a waste. Yeah, nobody says, oh, you know, oh, Yeah, do you know how many eons you created the karma to have this rebirth in? And you just wasted all of that, yeah, to go, you know, seek some kind of status or whatever, have, you know, yeah, get get your, your trophy husband, your trophy wife. Yeah, you wasted all those previous rebirths. Yeah, nobody says that. Nobody thinks that. Yeah. But it's the reality, isn't it? Yeah. So you really see that as Dharma practitioners, to take the Dharma seriously, it really involves a real shift in our worldview, how we conceive of the world and how the world operates, how we conceive of what it means to be a living being, you know? And the key thing is realizing that there's a lot more than this one life. And that's where we really get stuck. Yeah? Because, you know, everything is focused on, as Rinpoche would say, the evil thought of the eight worldly dharmas. Yeah? And he pounded that into us. Really heavy duty pounded it. You know, like whole Dharma courses, every single lecture, the evil thought of attachment to only the happiness of this life, the eight worldly dharmas. And he's saying this to all these hippies who had just come up from Freak Street. You know? And I'm so glad he did that. I'm so glad. The lamas don't do that now. Yeah. Yeah. For the first round of Westerners, yeah, they were, 
we got that, and I'm so glad. And uh, but people don't get that now, you know. In the beginning dharma courses, they get initiations. So we had that for the talks. Then he would give precepts. Last two weeks of the Dharma course. You had a one-month Dharma course. Last two weeks, precepts. Every morning, Rinpoche would come in, you know. So you got out of bed. You had to get up early. It was so cold in Nepal in the mornings. You drag, and there's no heat. So you drag yourself out of your warm sleeping bag. You know, you have your cup of... It wasn't coffee. It was... I don't know, something, I forget what we called it, but it wasn't tea, it was some kind of ground something, but it was delicious and it was hot. And you drank that, and you went to the the tent, and the fleas are crawling on you. And, you know, Rinpoche gives a, 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 a motivation for about 45 minutes. And then he says, and now kneel down, because he's going to give the, the Mahayana precepts. And he kneel, we all kneel down. And you know how the, the Tibetan way of kneeling is very uncomfortable. Yeah? So you kneel down. And then he talks for another hour about the motivation. But this time, it's the uh, disadvantages of samsara. Again and again, the eight problems of a human, the three sufferings, the six sufferings, you know, and you get it again and again. Every morning, two weeks in the freezing cold with the fleas, in kneeling down, and you cannot fall asleep when you're kneeling down as much as you would like to. <laughs> you know, I mean, part of you wants to go back to sleep. The other part wants to hear Rinpoche. But, and then there's the, the dissatisfaction of not getting what you want, the dissatisfaction of being dis- disillusioned with when you get it, and the dissatisfaction of losing it after you get it, and the dissatisfaction of having, uh, not getting what you want. I mean, getting what you don't want, and that happens again and again. And yeah, every morning, two weeks. Yeah, I am so glad that we got these heavy-duty teachings at the beginning of our practice because they really set the stage, yeah? Not that we all became renunciants. By no means, you know, we went down to Freak Street afterwards. But, well, most people did, you know. Some of us couldn't afford the taxi, so, you know, we... Well, actually, yeah, even difficult to get a taxi in those days. Anyway, so, um, yeah, you know, the importance of getting this drilled into you um, was, you know, the kindness of the teacher. Even though different people, you know, said, I can't take this anymore, and they, they slipped through it, or they ran down the hill, you know. Yeah, Copan was on a hill. We're on a hill. You know, people run down the hills. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. But I I actually went and thanked him some years ago for teaching us like that. Okay. Okay, 82. 
the objects of desire will certainly perish, and then I shall fall into hellish states. However, Buddhahood itself is attained with just one millionth of the difficulty. Yeah. When you read that, then you really see how stupid we are, how we waste things. So the objects of desire, you know, what do we desire and how long can we have it? Yeah. All the things we wanted in first grade. Do you have any of them now? Yeah. But when we were in first grade, we wanted those and we made sure our parents knew we wanted them. Yeah. And for those of you who had Christmas stockings, you demanded that you got them at Christmas time. Yeah. But the object, all those objects, where are they now? Hmm? Everything that we crave now, that we want now, yeah, where are they now? Yeah, even, you know, and this is as an individual, but also look what we do as a community. How many things have we said, I we absolutely must get this kind of saucepan. Yeah, we cannot use our old pots anymore. Yeah, we need these new pots. We need this kind of rice steamer. We need those. And they're now in the pile going for the, the, um, got the garage sale. Yeah. But then think of everything, you know, especially high school. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you have to have the clothes that everybody else is wearing and the jewelry. And nowadays you have tattoos. You know, the dinosaurs, we didn't even bother with tattoos. Actually, it was only the rough kids that got tattoos when we were in high school. So, you know, we weren't so hot on them. But, you know, you want this, you want that, just like everybody else has. And then you become an adult and you continue, except you just find a way to make it not so, not, you don't, so you don't look so greedy. Yeah. So you go window shopping. I'm not going to buy anything. I'm just window shopping. I just like that. I want to check out the new sports bikes. Yeah, just, you know, see how they modernize them. You know, I want to check out uh, the new whatever it is. Just see, yeah. And then slowly, slowly, you know, out comes the piece of plastic. and You buy it. Okay, so the objects of desire will certainly perish. And then I shall fall into hellish states. Why? Because of the non-virtuous actions I did to get the things that I desire. Okay, so then you say, I didn't do anything non-virtuous. I worked at a good job and I earned my money. 
Well, I worked, I got paid hourly. So if I arrived five minutes late, you know, five past the hour, I still put down that I arrived on the hour. And I didn't work five extra minutes at the end of the day. In fact, I actually left five minutes early at the end of the day. Okay? But I didn't create any negative karma. But that's lying, isn't it? And that's stealing. It's, it's not robbing a bank, but it's still, you know, in our mind, looking for my benefit, how can I get anything I want? Yeah. When I was camping in the Colorado mountains the summer I graduated from college, in the whole thing, somebody had the credit card number of some corporation whereby we, not the credit, it was a phone card number or some kind of thing where if you were hired by that corporation, you could make uh, calls that got billed to the corporation, okay? So he, you know, this person gave all of us the the card number, yeah? So you stake your head, oh, terrible, terrible that you use. Well, you know, when you're 21, you have very little money, yeah? And there's a, a card number. You can call your boyfriend or your girlfriend or whoever you want to call, call it call, not your parents, um, no, but whoever you want to call and not pay for it and talk as long as you want. And you don't even know who they are and they don't know who you are. And anyway, they're one of these rich corporations, part of the military industrial complex. What harm are you doing? When you are uh, somebody who's a senator or a congressperson and you have just some relative or some friend or somebody who knows when different companies are going to sell stock or buy stock, stock, and they just happen to tell you and you think, oh, well, I don't know for sure that the stock market's going to go down, but maybe I'll, I'll choose to sell my stock now. Or I don't know for sure that this tip about a company that's going to go way up, I don't know if that's going to happen, but I could buy their stock now. What's wrong with that? I mean, I'm just helping the economy. Yeah? What's wrong? And it was a friend who gave me that, you know, that information. What's wrong with it? Okay? So what I'm getting at is how we justify things. Yeah, how we justify things. And we create negative karma in the process of it. And those are just the small things that we do. Okay? I'm sure if we really think about what we've done in the past, we can think of things worse than that. Yeah? 
So those are just the small ones. But we create, you know, negative karma. And then we grow up to be adults who do, who act similarly. And the whole life goes by like that. You know, when I go to Singapore, one question that I get asked every single time by business people is, how can you be a business person but not lie? Yeah? And especially the people who are doing business in China now. How can I do business in China? And, you know, not take people and their whole families out for big meals and not give them presents and not do this and not do that. I mean, this is how you close a business deal. So how can I close the business deal and benefit my company, you know, and hold on to my job if, if I don't, you know, get these people presents and take them out on the company, you know, on the company's card, of course. Yeah. Okay, I, people ask me that. Some people, every year the same pe- people ask me that question. Every year I give them the same answer. But you can see the answer doesn't last very long. Yeah, the question does. Okay. Okay, so ways the freedoms and fortunes so difficult to find for the sake of something trivial that is not so scarce. The objects of desire will certainly perish, and then I shall fall into hellish states. However, Buddhahood itself is attained with just one millionth of the difficulty. But, oh, come on. It's too hard keeping ethical discipline. You know, then I can't do this and I can't do that. And my friends think that I'm just stupid and ridiculous because I don't take advantage of all these things I could take advantage of. Yeah? So why should I try and keep ethical conduct? You know? And my family then says, oh, so you're a goody two-shoes now? Yeah. You're, you've all of a sudden turned prudish now? Yeah. But, you know, let alone practicing the perfections, you know, generosity and so on. And what makes them a perfection is if we do those actions with the motivation of bodhicitta. Yeah, that that is too much suffering, too much to ask for us. Yeah, I'm not talking about, you know, the Buddha gave, giving up his body for the tiger. I'm talking about giving up my chocolate at lunch. Yeah. I'm talking about stepping in and doing somebody else's chore. I can't do that. It's too difficult, Law. Yeah. Do you you know where Law comes from? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's too difficult, Law. I can't do that. And other people will think I'm weird. 
And anyway, I really want to keep this, you know. Somebody gave me this thermos. And, okay, it's a little, look, there's a small dent there. I never noticed it before. There's a small dent. But it was given to me by, you know, my best friend. And, you know, or it was given to me by my ex-boyfriend or by my mother or my father. So, you know, I'm very attached to it. I don't want to give it up. It was given to me by somebody who I really love. Yeah? Do you have things like that you don't want to give away? Because they were given to you by somebody else that you care about? I can't give away. I don't care if you're going on a walk on a hot summer day and you need some water to take with you. This is mine. And diligent Dharma dog. He's so cute. And I've had him since I was three years old. Yeah, and he's so soft, and I cuddled with him when I was a baby. So when I see him now, he just reminds me of my childhood innocence. Before my brothers started blaming me for everything, you know. So I, I want to hold on. I know diligent Dharma dog doesn't mean anything to you, but he means so much to me. So I want to keep him. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> he doesn't smell. <laughs> My dogs don't smell. Other people's dogs do. My dogs are sweet and they're clean. See? People in Singapore have dogs. They have expensive dogs. Yeah, they don't have mutts. They have expensive dogs. But their their expensive dogs are just as they're dirty, just like the other ones too. But my dog. Okay. Yeah, so we have all these little things that we hang on to and big things that we hang on to and things that we spend our life craving, yeah, to prove that we can do it. Yeah, I can make enough money to buy that. However, Buddhahood itself is attained with just one millionth of the difficulty. But practicing the Dharma is too difficult. Yeah. You want me to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning? Or even 4.30? Yeah, you want me to get up that early? If we were going on an early morning flight to the Bahamas, yes, I would get up that early but you want me to get up that early? 
to go sit in that meditation hall? Yeah, I need my beauty sleep. Yeah. And so and so it goes with everything. Yeah. You expect me to review my notes from the teaching I just had? I didn't even take notes. So you expect me to remember something that you said a week ago? Why should I remember that? But if you told me that in a week we were going to go see the this fantastic movie, I would remember that we were going to go see that all the whole week until we went to see it. Yeah, but remember the teachings from last week? Review the notes. Okay, so, you know, getting samsaric pleasures, there is no end to it. Yeah, because even you get what you want in this life, then there's another life, then you have to start all over. Because every lifetime you're born broke. I mean, really, when you think about it, it's drastically unfair, isn't it? You work so hard during your life, but when you die... Your wealth stays here, and in your next life, you have to start all over from the beginning, totally broke. And you have to earn all that money again so that you can buy something you like there in your next life. I mean, at least, really, the money should stay with you from one life to the next. And so should the possessions, because I work so hard for them. But they don't. They all stay here. And then your family members fight over who gets them. Or they don't fight over who gets them. And they think that your cherished possessions are garbage and need to be thrown out. So your stuffed animals that you saved your whole life, you know, somebody's going to go through all your stuff and throw it out. And then the stuff that is valuable, they're going to fight over. Think about it. However, Buddhahood itself is attained with one millionth of the difficulty. So every life you have to start all over again. But and if you're practicing the path, when you get to Buddhahood, that's the end. Yeah, there's a finish point. And once you get in the habit, practicing the Dharma is not so difficult. But you hear, but I don't want to give up my body. But nobody's asking you to give it up. And actually, you aren't allowed to give it up until you have control over your rebirth. So don't worry about it. You know, you can give up your kidney if you want to. I don't even give that up. Okay. But, you know, when you think about the difficulty of practicing the Dharma and 
you know, how easily we just feel, you know, it's just too much. It's too hard. I can't do it. Yeah. You expect me to look like this in public? Yeah. People call me names. I walk down the street and people go, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama. Hey, th- that's what happened to me. Yeah. Yeah, I remember walking to His Holiness's teachings when he was teaching in Santa Monica and walking past people going, Hari Rama, Hari Krishna. No, these were not the people chanting, but the other people who thought I was one of the Hari Rama, Hari Krishna people. Then I'm going to get ridiculed by those people. And my family is going to be so upset because... You know, their friends' daughters in medical school, and the other one is already a, an attorney, and the other one, you know, is, you know, a business person. And, and what do I tell about my daughter, my son? Yeah, that they walk down the street and people make fun of them. That they don't have any money. That they don't care about the stock market. Oh, that's worse than anything. Yeah. What am I going to tell them? My friends are going to think I'm a failure as a parent. Yeah. However, Buddhahood itself is attained with just one millionth of the difficulty. Yeah. But we so easily cave in. Yeah? So this is where we need to call up our courage. Courage is not what the soldiers on the battlefield are having. Yeah? From a Buddhist viewpoint, being a soldier on a battlefield is actually being cowardly. Yeah? Real courage is the ability to face our samsara and to begin the process of gradual change. Okay. Okay. So, wow, we did three new verses. Okay. Questions? Comments? Anything? Venerable, I don't know if I get it right. Is easier to get Buddhahood than all the wealth? All the wealth and samsara? Yes. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yep. How come? Because there's no end to your hard work to get samsaric wealth. Because every you get something, then at death you lose it, at next life, in your next life when you're born, even if you're born human, you have no money. Yeah, but you said that to attain Buddhahood, sometimes it takes eons or many, many lives as well. Yes, So, but there's an end to it. Whereas samsara, you never reach the end. You never reach a state where you have enough money and enough wealth. Because 
Well, first of all, because you never have enough because something horrible could happen in your old age. But even if you were to feel satisfied with the gazillions of dollars you have, at death, it stays here and you go on and you start all over again. And how do you keep all the merit you built in this life? How, how, how compared to the wealth? I know you start from scratch, but how do you know if you're gonna? If, if you take your merit, you know, which is karma, it's virtuous karma, that comes with you as does the non-virtuous karma. Okay, the seeds of whatever karma we've created come with us. So you can be confident of that. Yeah. The only thing that could destroy our merit is anger and wrong views. So if we make it, you know, we, we really watch our mind and we r reduce our anger. Yeah. And we are very clear about what we believe in and don't harbor all sorts of wrong views. Then our, our merit's gonna stay with us until it ripens. Okay. It's true, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, let's dedicate.